Hello and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. I'm Simon. And I'm Wayne. And we're all property people running our own businesses. And this podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. Now, once again, you will have heard a third name. And that third name today is Wayne, Wayne Greenway. Welcome to the podcast, Wayne. Thank you for having me. Now, a very brief introduction. Wayne is an architect. And as on a recent podcast, Simon and I were arguing about whether or not we'd get two flats or three flats onto a property. We started thinking about inviting a guest and, and Wayne seemed to be the most pertinent. But Wayne, before we get into our conversations, could you just give a brief introduction to yourself to the listeners, please? Yes, so morning all. I'm Wayne Greenway from Green Associates. I run a, a design business in the southeast or particularly in South London, Croydon, Surrey, Sussex and Kent. That's the kind of jurisdiction I have and our offices in Red Hill and also in, in London. And more at the minute, what I'm doing is helping people transform their homes. You know, after COVID, people homeschooled, people working from home, they realize, hang on a minute, my dining table just can't work as my office anymore. So loft conversion, extensions, garden offices, I'm doing a lot of those at the minute. Yeah, and, and that's really interesting because it's something we hear about anecdotally. And, and as you've brought it up, in terms of your percentage of work that's coming through what would it have been like pre-pandemic in terms of the types of work you were doing to what it's moved towards now so before people would have done a kitchen extension they wanted to do a kitchen extension they wanted to say you know somebody's pregnant they want a nursery stuff like that but now you have a lot of garden offices you have a lot of people doing an extension to get an office uh, I work from home. My wife now works from home and he just can't work. So we now need an extra space for an office so two people can work in two separate spaces. That's what's happening a lot now. Yeah. And Simon, you, you mentioned that you've, you've, actually, you've got this challenge yourself. Yeah. I, I, I currently work from a, 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 it's a real desk. It's not a dining table or anything, but, but it is stuck in the corner of a bedroom. This is, this isn't ideal. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I've, I've had sort of, dream thoughts of of having a, a garden office or or maybe even sort of extending on the back of our house but it, it wouldn't fit very well because it, our kitchen is all the way across there and then sort of bolt an office on the end would be a bit odd but but I, I I've also for a long time ago wanted to build a dividing wall between or sort of inside one of our bedrooms because I, it's plenty big enough and you can split it down the middle it's got windows on both sides so it, it would work really well and then we'd have a little office and a slightly smaller bedroom for one of our one of our children but it's, it's been vetoed by, by the person in charge of the household so <laughs> so, so yes i i wonder if perhaps i should seek some professional advice for the the options that might be available but do you do you find people sort of splitting up rooms wayne or is it is it more about building out to extend more about building out because the building out adds value it is said that uh, a loft conversion or an extension can add up to 25% increase on your property value. So rather than splitting the bedroom, add another bedroom. Add another room gives you value when you're ready to sell. Mm, so in increasing space, increasing footprint makes sense, yeah. doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. So speaking of space and footprint then, so Simon did send you across the property that we were looking at previously. And, he did, and, yes. And, it, and I'm going to defend myself in advance. I mean, I, I, I got ambushed with this on the on the podcast and they've got about two minutes to look at it. But Simon, would you like to just give the, 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 everyone a quick overview 
of what we were talking about previously in, the, in terms of the property? Yeah, certainly. So this is a property that, that is actually really for sale at the moment. We don't have any link to it or anything. This is just a property we, we spotted on Rightmove and have, have decided to pick on. And it's quite a big property. It's currently all one house. However, some of its neighbours have already been split up into multiple units. So the one right next door has been split into two two units or two flats. And I was looking at this property that's for sale as something that perhaps could be split up into two or I was hoping maybe even three flats to then either sell on or rent out or whatever. So as a sort of potential investment vehicle, if you like. And and we, we just discussed this back on episode 109. And you can you can go back and, and listen to, to Stuart and, and my own sort of musings on, on this and and how we thought we might be able to make it into a, a, an investment. And we thought it was always going to be very tight, especially given the asking price it's got at the moment. But neither of us are architects. We don't really know how you could actually split up a property like this. And hence, we, we thought we'd, we'd bring on an actual real professional. And Wayne has agreed to join us. And It's kind of free consultancy, isn't it? That's what you're <laughs> looking for. <laughs> Shh. That's, that's the secret of having a podcast you're not supposed to reveal. <laughs> but, but no, no, we're, I'm not planning to, to invest in this property. So don't worry, it's not really free consultancy. I will ask some follow-up <laughs> questions after we've turned off the microphone, which I am hoping to get into free consultancy, Wayne. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're happy with that, even though we haven't agreed that in advance. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, uh, so when you're presented with a property like this, Wayne, and somebody who comes along and says, I, I want to invest in this property and I want to convert it into flats, where where do you start? What do you look at for thinking how that might be possible and and what could be achievable? So the, the first thing, uh, there, there are a number of things that the, the um, council, uh, the planners, in their planning policy would set down. So even before I go into whether it can be split into two or three flats, the first thing I look for is, can it be split? Meaning, will it meet the planning policy's criteria? So if this same house, whatever house, the owners of the house wanted to put an extension onto the house, they, they are considered by the council as a homeowner extending their own home. And as a homeowner extending your own home, the criteria is less onerous than if you were either to extend the home or to convert the home for the market. So a homeowner, and improving his home is different to somebody creating space for the market. And if you're creating space for the market, you are a developer adding house to the housing stock. Quick question on that, Wayne. So, mm-hmm. so that, that's really that's really interesting, and that's a great starting point. Based on that sort of criteria that you're thinking about, and I see it like a decision tree. First decision, you know, you're thinking about planning policy criteria. Mm-hmm. Would would you still think that if the plans were under permitted development rights, for example? Mm-hmm. So is is that something that you're still factoring in at that stage, even if actually we've got we've got the permitted development? So the permitted development rights only work. You're a ho- homeowner, and as a homeowner, well, let's first explain what permitted development rights. So permitted development rights or PD is your legal right as a homeowner to adjust or alter your home under certain conditions. So think of a diet light soda, really. It's not the full fat version. It's a diet light soda with limited scope. 
And this limited scope means you could extend by a certain amount, but you can't do this, but you can't do that. You're allowed to do this, but you can't do that. And the, and the criteria is, you know, limited. So you can do certain changes to it. And when you've made those changes as a homeowner, you, the owner now can say, well, I've added this amount of space. I've added this amount of space. Can I now convert it into flats? Because you've now added the space. But as I said before, it's not just the space that is required to determine whether a house can be converted to flats. Because as I said, converting a house into flats means you're a developer. Can you see the difference? Yeah, makes sense. Do you find that councils are are willing to help developers? Because obviously they need more housing, population is expanding, and, and we're always hearing about a shortage of, of new properties. Or do you find that councils are, are actually much more restricted or restrictive, should I say, towards developers? Yes, they're much more restrictive. The planning department is not a health development department. <laughs> it's not a, I'm going to help the developers. That's my department. <laughs> the planning department is about enforcing planning policy. That's what the planning department does. Okay. So one of the things that I thought was good about this property was that it had its neighbour that had already been split into flats. So is is that sort of a good sign as precedent for the planning yeah, department right. or so it's or a good sign depending on when that was done so let's take a, a, a neighboring borough i know that croydon council has recently changed their planning policy with regards to the splitting of of houses into flats because prior to this change which is recent the policy was that any house could be converted into flats so they found that they were getting a lot of small houses being converted and creating squalid conditions. So now in order for a house to be qualified to be split into flats, it needs to be of a certain size from the outset, not including the size, not including the basement or the loft. The house had to meet a certain criteria in terms of size, not including the basement or the loft for you to consider whether this house is suitable to be converted. That's the first thing. The other thing that needs to happen is that there needs to be enough parking for one and a half of the units. So as a homeowner, you have this one home, you have your wife and your kids, and you might have one car, you might have two cars, but it's one family, one family car. You split this house into three flats, you know, have three individual families, each with one car or two cars, you know, have six cars, if the case may be. So parking becomes very important. And they say, you need to be able to have adequate parking for the people who live here, and they must be able to enter the property and leave the property in the car in first gear. That's the criteria. You have to enter the property and leave the property in first gear. I mean, you can't reverse in or you can't reverse out. That's a really interesting addition to that criteria, which I was completely unaware of. I, I think the other element, of, I remember our discussion about this now, and I think that one of my concerns around splitting into three was that actually when someone next to you has only just done two, it was more around the number of people you're trying to get in or the number of properties you're trying to get in. So that I think that was where my thinking came from originally was actually if someone's done two, could you really get another three households in? And that's that's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, and, and I... I confess i'm not really sure if it would really stretch to three but in front of this house there is space for sort of 
driveway parking effectively if you used what is the front garden and i think you would get three cars across the width of the the property so you could have one car space per flat per unit and what about what about visitors and guests where do they park no 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 one visits anymore <laughs> there's, there's, there's a pandemic on isn't there i mean <laughs> um there, there is street parking as well in this street although it is obviously limited because lots of other people don't have driveways in this street and hence it, it's often quite a busy street but but yeah how how strict are they on needing yeah, extra yes and they're quite strict about street parking so you wouldn't get planning policy to street to park on the street so do you need to have enough spaces for visitors as well as residents yeah yes so the, the planners want to know that when you've considered your development, you're not creating a problem for the highways agency with parking issues caused as a result of your development. And to be fair, I think most of us as residents would agree with that principle because as a home, I, you know, I don't want to get into nimbyism, you know, not, not in my backyard, but most of us, you know, particularly in, in a lot of the areas, we already know there's a, there's a crowding issue in terms of cars. You've, you've already mentioned the number of cars per household. You know, I've got four kids that are still all school age and under, but what happens when they become teenagers? I dread to think in many areas, but <laughs> certainly when they start or start thinking about driving, you know, that adds another layer, doesn't it, to, to what we have yes. to think about. Yeah. Yeah. My eldest has already started saving up for his first car, which is very, very scary. He's not anywhere near old enough yet. He's got a couple of years yet, but he, <laughs> he started saving up. And yes, just the idea is quite scary. So seeing as we are treating this as an entirely hypothetical sort of experiment let's just assume the council are perfectly happy to go ahead with splitting this property <laughs> and let's start thinking about sort of the internals of the property or, or indeed sort of the externals of the property but the property itself and what you would look at Wayne to to sort of start thinking how that could be adapted okay so the, the first thing we think about is how to access the property so whether we whether we have after doing a little bit of Visibility, we agree that it's either two or three flats. We need to be able to have flat one and the residents of flat one enter their domain without creating a problem for the residents of flat two. So normally you have a, a central lobby and then you have a, a, a door going to the left to flat one and a door going to the right. And sometimes the door going to the right has to go up a flight of stairs first before they are able to access their own domain. But then what the council would want to know and would want to ensure is that the person who now lives upstairs still has access to the garden. They need to have what they call amenities, meaning the beautification, the, the enjoyment of the property they've just purchased would include the ability to enjoy the garden. So we need to find a way for them to get to the garden as well. Is that something that's changed? Because we own a flat in Kingston and some of the flats don't have uh, rights to a garden mm. having said that i think there is a communal one now but you know not not every flat gets access so is that something that's changed over time in terms of that i mean yes. so pl planning policy is a fluid thing what was accepted in 1865 not accepted in 1965 and would not be accepted in 2022 so as you think about mindfulness and mental health and all these things that are part of the human experience Planning policy reflects that, and um, having access to the garden is something that is 
considered important. Yeah, I think I, I personally, I think I see that. My view is that's a positive change that people should have access. But of course, it's not always going to be feasible or, or possible. Do, do they allow exceptions in very difficult scenarios, or do they allow shared gardens and things like that? Yeah, every every thing on its own merit. So yes, they would have a discussion. So when you have these kind of conversions, it's always good to include the planners in part of your your discussion point rather than at the last minute just submitting your own proposal because it, it's going to be refused. So if you have circumstances where you think you know you would want to get a bit of leeway, a discussion should be had as to how that can be achieved. Yeah, makes sense. So. Based on those things and Simon's desire to get three flats on this. And what we should say, actually, for those listening, there is a, will be a link in the show notes to this property that you can go and have a look at all the things we've been talking about in terms of the off-street parking, the front of it. So ha- have a look yourself as we're talking. So, Wayne, where does your gut feeling lie in terms of suitability of this property and, and the splitting of flats? Well, well, I would, if possible, the first thing to do, get an extension on the back, make sure that the loft has big dormers. That would be the first thing I do. See if I can get some volume onto it. Because I would want to get it into three as well. If I can get three flats, it means my investment, you know, it's a better chance of, of having a return on investment. And then I would also put a, a, a corridor from the ground floor straight to the back so that everybody has access to the back garden. I, I think I've been looking at the plants. I think that's quite possible. And then I might have to put a stairs in the middle of one of the flats so that while I have my communal stairs in that central corridor going to access all the flats, when I'm on the ground floor, to if I can't get all the accommodation, because sometimes you can't have all the accommodation of flat one on the ground floor, flat two, on the first floor and flat three on the, in the loft space. Sometimes you have to split it so that the person who is occupying the top floor, the loft also has access to the first floor through their own internal stairs. And that's what I would do on this. Have an internal stair connecting the loft floor to the first floor so that the person in the loft also has the first floor. And sometimes you have to do that on the ground floor as well so that you get maximum use of the garden. And that's what I would do on this. I haven't gone through a proper feasibility of it because no client has conducted me and given me my feasibility fee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, any fees will be paid for by Simon, just to be really clear. (laughs) So, But but, but that, that is what I would do. Regarding this, I would, I would see how I could get the garden, everybody have access to the garden, and then have some internal stairs. So looking at that, I'm looking at the plan as well. And if you have a, a corridor from the front door sort of all the way through to the back, which is sort of the, the simplest implementation of what you, you just described, you would split the ground floor in two. So mm. how? So the extension, having an extension would allow me to have a bit more volume. And then because there's a stair going up to the other floor, you'll be able to make a connection. A bit awkward, but... So you're thinking that the, the ground, you might have two ground floor flats that have a bit of space above them, perhaps. Or... Correct, yeah. Ah, okay. And then on the first floor, you'd have probably the start of the third flat, and then they would go yeah. up into the loft space as well. 
Correct, correct. Oh, wow. Completely different from sort of how I imagined it might split up. Um, and indeed, a much more radical change to the, the structure of the building. I was sort of trying to work out how you could kind of leave pretty much all of the walls where they were and and just sort of put in extra doors to, to, to cut off a flat here or there. So if you were looking at, at flat conversions like that, how much do you, do you tend to find you, you need to work within the existing walls and how much can you sort of just... just More so than just completely not, yeah, change, them, change them all down, yeah. Give you a bit more freedom. Do you have sort of problems or restrictions around load bearing walls and chimneys and things no. like that, or are all of those sort of circumstances? Just get a good, just, just get a good structural engineer. <laughs> That's a good plan. So you can treat a pretty much any property just as as a blank canvas. Yes, because the object is the flats, not to keep the walls with the air. Wow. Okay. So my next question, then, which I, I like that idea of being able to just just go in and do whatever you like. Is that a lot more expensive if you're you're taking that approach versus trying to leave? Yes, yeah, so it is a lot more expensive, but the alternative is to have three flats or two flats, and then you can work out the maths, which gives me a better in- return on my investment. Two flats or three flats, and then if it's three flats, then okay, what do I do to get that achieved? Yeah, and I think when when someone obviously with with knowledge and experience like yourself talks about this, it makes perfect sense to me because actually it sounds. And when I say simple, I don't mean it's a simple process. And obviously, a lot of thinking would need to go into how you actually do that. But but when you talk about just increasing the volume, for me, that just makes logical sense. Oh, yes, of course. Why wouldn't we do that? We'd create more space so that actually we've got more greater flexibility to create the homes that would A, be more appealing, but B, meet with planning policy criteria. So just from our side thank you very much for humoring us and at least having a look at that and obviously the caveat is of course you've, you've only had a very limited time to look at it we haven't paid any consultancy fees to get to get advice so it's not advice to anyone it was just we thought it'd be interesting to just get someone with your experiences views on on just thinking about it and i think hopefully there's, there's been great value for people there and for anyone listening please feel free to comment at biz of property on twitter or reach out to us on the business of property just to, to provide feedback. But did you have any other thoughts on that, Simon, based on last conversations? Well, I, I was I was wondering about asking you, Wayne, for some very, very tricky questions now, which if you'd rather not not say or commit or anything, that, that that's perfectly okay. But if you were looking at converting a house like this, and so let's just say we can we can put in planning and we can get approval for the extension out the back and for converting it into three flats, complete ballpark, what kind of time span and cost do you think an investor should be looking at for that kind of project? I don't just mean for the architectural element of it. I mean, just from your experience of working with builders and things, what the whole thing might be, or or how even to structure thinking about it, perhaps, if you don't don't want to commit to a number. (laughs) So I'll, I'll, I'll commit to a process. I won't commit to a number. Okay. <laughs> so the, the, the first thing is you contact somebody like myself. And from the time you say go, meaning here's my deposit. I really want you to start working on this. It's going to take about six to eight months before the first shovel hits the ground. The first shovel of your builder, six to eight months, not really less than that. Cause there's going to be the design time and iterations that are related to that. Then there's going to be the planning permission, that process. And that's going to take, I would say, eight to 12 weeks. 
minimum of the planners deciding whether this can fly or not. And then I'm going to also say that you have building regulation and building control. So six to eight months before the first summer hit the ground. If you to break up that six to eight months, you, as I said, just give that chunk of, of, of format. But in addition to that, you also need to think about the fees to consultants. So if you have a figure, and I'm, I'm going to get to the figure in a minute, but if you have a, a construction budget, so let's for easy math, just say 100K, just, just a figure, whatever it is. 100K, 500K, doesn't matter. Between 10 and 12% of that figure is going to go into fees to others. The architect, the structural engineer, the planners, the council, you know, you might need a party war specialist, you might need, you might need a thermal acoustician, whatever. 10 to 12% of your construction budget must have for fees. So how do you get to your construction budget? We normally use, and this slightly adjusted because, you know, the builders are going crazy at the minute. They're, they're more, there's more desire for builders than builders desire to work. So the builders have a little bit of opportunity to charge higher fees than they did two years ago. But we normally use a rule of thumb. So for every bit of new construction that there was no foundation before, there were no walls before, there was no floors before, £2,000 per square meter you need. So when you're doing your that new volume, as Joe was talking about, and I was mentioning, £2,000 per square meter for any new area of construction. But as I also mentioned, that you'll be knocking over walls on the existing property. So that we normally say between five and eight hundred pounds per square meter to transform the interior. So that gives you, as I say, I'm not giving you a figure, I'm giving you a process. That allows you to understand where your budget is. Was that helpful? That's absolutely fantastic, yes. And and I think that's probably even more useful than a, a specific figure or even a, a guest figure for for this particular property, because of course you can apply that process to any property or any project that you're you're thinking of. So so yeah, I think that that's absolutely absolutely fantastic. So just to clarify, you would you'd work out the area that you're going to be building newly on and the area mm-hmm. inside the property that you're going to be bashing around. Yeah. Renovate, renovating. That's the, the word, the, the yes. <laughs> and you'd take £2,000 per square metre for the new bit and, so let's say, I don't know, £700-ish, pick a number in the middle of yours, for the, the bit you're renovating, add it all up, and then that would be sort of your, your total budget. And then you're saying 10 to 12% of that total budget would be fees and consultants, and then the rest would be your your builders and your, your actual construction equipment and, and materials yeah. and stuff. Is that, yeah. is that correct? That's about right. And it's a guide. It's, it's, not, it's not this is the figure. This is your budget guide so that you say, ah, when I'm ready to go to the bank, when I'm ready to contact the builder, I have an idea. But the actual contract figure is only the figure that is agreed with the builder at the time of handshake. Yeah. So when you're approaching a project like this, you can obviously put together that sort of estimate very roughly. And anyone could probably put that together mm-hmm. from a, a, a quick idea. Mm-hmm. But then fairly early on, you're going to need to get an architect involved to actually put together plans and submit to council and whatever else like that. At what point would you recommend getting the, the builder involved to actually put in that sort of more solid cost estimate would you do that right at the outset or while you're still thinking about it or later on right so the builder needs 
accurate drawings to measure and quantify. So I'm not sure if you're familiar there in the UK, there are two statutory departments. So there's the planning department and the planning department looks for a particular set of drawings. I normally say planning is about neighborliness. The planners want to know that your proposed development does not adversely affect your neighbor's rights of life, your neighbor's boundary, your neighbor's property values, and your neighbor's privacy, stuff like that. Being neighborly, that's what planning is about. So the drawings that they look for are different to the drawings that building control look for because building control is about technical performance, structural performance, acoustic performance, thermal performance. Will the building stand up? Will the building meet 21st century construction and technology requirements? So in order for the builder to give you an accurate price, he needs accurate drawings that he can measure. And those drawings are not planning drawings. Those drawings are building control drawings that have structural engineering information, acoustic specialist information, if an acoustics uh, consultant or acoustic information is required, and so on and so on. That's that's fantastic. And I, I think that's great advice for anyone. I, I've certainly learned from it and I hope for the people listening will have learned from that as well. So thank you for, for sharing that because I think that's great for, for us, to, for anyone to think about. And for someone that's been through this process just a couple of times, you know, just, just the advice, it sounds logical and, and common sense to me. And uh, I've spoken about on this podcast, you know, I, I remember my first devel- development in inverted commas, you know, I thought I was going to get planning permission within three months. And of course, I can I can laugh heartily at that now because that was just utterly ridiculous. So six to eight months to me sounds like a very good rule of thumb. And as, as a starting point, depending on the complexity or otherwise of the development or its location, etc. And as we sort of draw to the end, Wayne, and, and you've been, you know, incredibly uh, open and, and thanks for sharing everything with us. But just thinking for those listening as well. When you enter into a relationship with people, what's your sort of key bit of advice for anyone sort of embarking on development or thinking about it? What's the sort of thing that you, you like to share with people? The first thing I ask is, why are you spending this money? <laughs> Construction is very expensive. You have to be very, what's the word, determined, and that, that determination is going to come from a real reason. So, for example, a real reason can be, and this is a true story, the lady says, actually, when I asked the question, why are you spending this money? She said, actually, my mother has fallen. I think we need to bring her to live with us. We need to convert our garage. We need to give her an ensuite. And that's success. So my question I always ask my clients, what would success look like? And how will we get there? So that's how I start. That's great. And it's, I think it's a good life question, isn't it? Why? Question why we're doing the things. That's brilliant. And a great piece of advice to finish on. Was there anything else, Simon, that you wanted to speak about before we wrap up? No, I don't think I have any more questions for for our hypothetical house or our very real architect. I think I would just say thank you very much for joining us, Wayne. Is there anything else you'd like to add or, or perhaps a suggestion for how people might, might reach out to you? Yes, yeah, so uh, my website is greenmeatresources.co.uk. And uh, as I said, I'd be happy to help anyone transform their homes. Fantastic. And as per usual, we'll leave all of Wayne's contact details in the show notes as well, so you can find them there. And as mentioned in the podcast, please do reach out to us on Twitter at biz, B-I-Z of property, or alternatively online 
via www.thebusinessofproperty.com. And that only leads me to thank Wayne once again for joining the show. And for everyone else, we'll see you next week. Yeah.